Um, if you don't have a Bible, you will probably find it quite helpful, so you might want to run out and grab one as we will be flicking through all of Joel as we're going to try and do, a, do an overview uh, of it today. Um, how, how do us, physical creatures, how do we understand that which is spiritual? How, how do us, creatures which are embedded in this, this moment in time, how do we come to understand that which is so much beyond us, the, the future, that's what we cannot comprehend with our eyes? Well, to understand the spiritual, to understand the future, the Lord has given us his book. He's given us his, his word, the scriptures, his book of Revelation. But the Lord has also given us the book of nature, creation. And within creation, the Lord is, is teaching us spiritual and future realities. Now creation, we find out in Psalm 19, it speaks but it has no voice. So we need the scriptures to act as its interpreter, to act as its lenses almost. When we put the scriptures on, then it allows nature and creation to, to speak and to tell us what it needs to say. Joel here, particularly in this first chapter, but throughout the book, is giving us scriptural lenses so that we can comprehend spiritual lessons that all of creation is teaching us. Now, in our overview of, uh, of Joel, I've sort of divided it into, into three sections. In the first section, chapter 1, down to chapter 2, verse 11, I'm calling Wake Up and Mourn. Then we hit chapter 2, uh, sorry, section 2, chapter 2, 12 to 2, 32, Return and Restoration. Then our final section will be in chapter 3, all of chapter 3, Judgment and Dwelling. So Wake Up and Mourn, Return and Restoration, and Judgment and Dwelling. I know one of Tom's hopes with this sort of summer series where we're going to be going through different minor prophets and giving an overview of each is that we can sort of get a taste of them. And we're not going to be able to comprehend everything that these minor prophets have to say and go into all the details. But we want this, this big brushstroke overview so that in our own homes, in our own studies, as our own quiet times, as we read God's word, these, these big brushstroke overviews will help us understand uh, what is going on. So section one, chapter one, chapter two, verse 11. Wake up and mourn. If you have a Bible, look down with me. Look at, look at the, um, the action words, words, the verbs we have here. We've got in chapter, chapter 1, verse 2, we've got here. Chapter 3, we've got tell it to your children. Uh, verse 5, we've got wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Verse 8, we've got mourn like a virgin in sackcloth. Verse 11, we've got despair, you farmers. Verse 13, put on sackcloth. Verse 14, Declare a holy fast. Chapter 2, verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion. This, 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 the whole beginning of this chapter, it's so just action-packed of, of hearing and telling and waking up and mourning and despairing and sackcloth and holy fasts. It is an action-packed chapter. It's like, hear this and wake up to this and respond to this. And what is this image presenting of all these action-based words? Well, it's an image of, of urgency, of importance. And what event 
is uh, do the Israelites who received this uh, prophecy, what event do they need to wake up to? Well, look down at chapter 1, verse, verse 4. What the locust swarm have left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. There is a wave upon wave upon wave of locusts who has devoured all that there is. Now, one wave of locusts is bad enough because that's your crops gone. But another wave and another wave, well, that's destruction and that is famine. And that is disaster. And they need to wake up to this. And then verse, uh, verse 7. What is it they're mourning and waking up to? It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. This is desolation. The imagery here in Joel is so strong. It's, it's desperate. Verse 10. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, and the oils have failed. Verse 13. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you ministers before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. Why? Why is there this desperation? For the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house your God. The situation has got so bad for the people of Israel that they cannot even go and offer to the living God the sacrifices and offerings which are required, which they need to give him honour and pleasure. But even though this, this great, disastrous act has hit the Israelites, this is nothing compared to what is coming. This is nothing compared to what is coming. Look down, chapter 2, verse um, 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm in my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. Why are they going to tremble? More grasshoppers? Tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come the day of the lord it is near and this is why the people of god the israelites they need to wake up and they need to mourn because this day it will be like waves upon waves of locusts but worse it will be a locust-like army that just comes and comes and comes and destroys all in its path chapter 2 verse 10 before them the earth quakes, the skies tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? If you're walking home after this church service, and you're going down your street, and you start to see smoke rising uh, from your street and from your home what do you think you think that a fire has come if you're walking down your street and you hear, hear your burglar alarm ringing you think that a thief has come and has robbed you smoke burglar arms they are warnings but they themselves are not the horrible reality they are warnings of something worse that is to come the locusts the swarms of locusts, they are horrible, but they are not the worst of what is to come. 
that's our first section, wake up and mourn. Section number two, return and restoration. This is chapter 2, verses 12 to 32. So in the midst of this dark, dark prospect of all that has happened and the fear of all that could happen to the people of God, in the midst of this, the Lord God is calling out to his people. He is calling out to his people. Look at me with verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, they've just heard about the day of the Lord. They've just heard about who can endure it. Verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So in the midst of the locust and of this future day, the Lord is calling out to his people, return to me. Come home to me. You're a lost sheep and you need to come into the fold. You're a lost son and you need to come back to your father. Return to me. And the call is to to return by rendering our hearts. Our hearts are the the control centers of our lives. If If you view our lives, our lives, as, as a car driving along the streets and our hearts is like the, the driver in the driving seat. Our hearts are the ones who decide where we're going. And so with our very motivational core, with the heart of who we are, with a centrality of ourself, we are called to turn back to the living God, to come back to him, to render our whole selves to him. And why, why should we return to the living God? Because of the day of locusts, because of the day of the Lord, and as truthful of those both things that they, they, they are, and give us perfectly good reasons to return to the Lord God. The central reason we're actually given here in, in verse chapter 2, verse 13, is we are to come back. We are to return because who we will find there. Who we will find there. Return to the Lord your God, 13, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity come home come home and meet your father who is running out to meet you who is overjoyed at your presence at your return come home because your father god is gracious and he is kind and he is good and he is slow to anger come home because who you will find there. This return, it isn't just about us individually returning, even though individually it is about us returning, but it is so much more than that. It is about the individual returning within the collective returning, within an individual returning, a couple returning, a family returning, a church returning, a nation returning. This is the call to all people to come back to the living God. Verse 16, look at the breadth of who this is for. Chapter 2, verse 16. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, the wise, not just the old, the wise. Bring together the children. And how young children do they go? Those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave her room and the bride his chamber. Even a wedding can wait. This is the urgency and this is the importance of this return but it goes further verse 17 priests 
and ministers, you need to return too. Everyone needs to return, the old and the young. No matter what your life stage is, everyone needs to return. Even the religious leaders all must return. Then in verse 18, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. A returned people, an individual, a couple, a family, a church, a nation returning to the Lord will cause him to have pity upon his people. And when they return, well, what does a returned life look like? A a returned community look like? A returned nation look like? Well, verse 19, it will look prosperous. Incredibly prosperous. There will be enough grain to satisfy you. Say that to a nation which has just been ransacked by locusts again and again. And that is joyful news. There is enough grain to satisfy you. A return, this restoration will look like freedom. Enemies will be driven out, verse 20. A return will look like joy. The reasons to rejoice will be just multiply again and again, verse 21 to 24. There'll be fruit, there'll be figs, there'll be rains, there'll be grain. Everything you need will be there and you'll just be so joyful because of it. Verse 25, 26. If you return, there'll be restoration. Everything that was lost, everything that locusts did take, It will be restored. It will be given back. Verse 27. God will be present with them. If we return to the Lord, if an individual, a couple, a family, a church, a nation returns to the living God, then God will be present with them. Verse 27. In verse 28, God will be present not simply with them, but he will be present in them. These words might ring familiar as their words which are repeated in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people in fire and in flames and in wind and in, in the people being able to speak many many languages Peter interprets this act by quoting from Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. A people who return to the Lord. God is present with them. God is present in them. They will dream dreams. They will have visions. This is the language of knowing the Lord. Of knowing his will. And knowing his purposes. And hearing his voice. This is the image of what it is to return to the living God. What does returning mean? Well, when we walk down that street and we see that smoke and we realise that actually it isn't that the whole house is on fire, it's just that the garden shed were on fire, but we've called the fire brigade and the fire brigade have come and they've put out the garden shed. But it is better than that because the fire brigade, they came, but they brought with them builders and they brought with them interior decorators and they rebuilt the garden shed and redoing the garden shed they seem to have rebuilt the whole house and given it multiple extensions and every room has just been redone and it's just so much better and more glorious than it ever was before and there's so many reasons for joy and so much reason for happiness and so much reason for contentness this is what a returned life looks like restoration but it is better Restoration, but it is better. It is a transformed home, a transformed life. So that takes us to the end of section two. It takes us to the end of chapter two. 
Third and final section, judgment and dwelling. Which is is chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Judgment and dwelling. So this final section, it now takes us back to the day of the Lord. So we've seen already in the book of Joel, this call to mourn and wake up and mourn in the first section. Second section, it's, it's return and restoration. And our third section, we're taken back to the day of judgment, um, day of the Lord, sorry. And in this day of the Lord, in chapter three, we're seeing judgment and dwelling. These two opposites, judgment and dwelling. And as we look at chapter 3, we're witnessing what the day of the Lord will now look like and feel like for those who have returned. On that day, the Lord will gather all the nations together and there's going to be a cosmic trial. All people, all nations, all lands will be put on trial. And why will they be judged? We'll look down with chapter 3, verse 2. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them, concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls wine, wine that they might drink. The Lord is going to bring his judgment upon these nations for how they have treated his holy possession his beloved people for how these nations have treated israel and how they have mistreated the young and the innocent in the boys and the girls and so because of this the lord god will bring his righteous judgment upon them and in this day of the lord in this cosmic trial it will be terrifying but only for those who are enemies of the living god it will only be terrifying for them for those who have returned to the Lord, well, hear what happens, verse 14. Multitude, multitude in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, the stars no longer shine. Terrifying. Verse 16. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. For those who have returned to the Lord, this day of the Lord, it is not a day to be feared, a day of their own destruction. Instead, this day of the Lord becomes a day of the Lord's dwelling, where they will dwell with the Lord and the Lord will dwell with them and they will find him to be their refuge, to be their defender, to be their stronghold, to be their help, to be their safety. And as they find their safety in the shadow of the Lord's wings, well, there will be even greater prosperity than the prosperity that has already been given to those who return. As we keep on reading, we will see that almost the miraculous happens and the, and the hills will be flowing with, with wine and with milk and with water. All these things, they represent prosperity and they represent growth. And they're, they're agricultural sort of words and they're food-based words. But for people who have been destroyed by locusts, that is, that is the image of prosperity. The Lord will dwell with his people. His people will dwell with the Lord. They will be safe and they will live in this prosperous land. Oh, there you go. That is our overview of Joel and it is heavy sort of stuff. But what does this mean for us today here in Sidcup? Thousands of years after this prophecy was given. Well, we are to take each section in part and apply it in part. 
So our first section, wake up and mourn. Wake up and mourn. Nature speaks to us. Creation teaches us. Every disaster, there are many things creation and nature teaches about the, about the glory of the Lord. But Joel is telling us that every single disaster is teaching us something. Every calamity, it is bad and horrendous in itself. And we're not taking away from that, but it is nothing. Every disaster is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. If we look at, at COVID, COVID, it teaches us many things, but it is teaching us something about the day of the Lord. If we look at this pandemic and these, and these lockdowns and these restrictions, if we look at the separation that we have felt from, from our loved ones or from our families or from our work, if we look at this, this separation which has been enforced upon us, and if we each just dwell on the worst moment of that separation that we experience, the worst moment of that separation which we experience is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. The worst moment of that separation we experience is nothing compared to his judgment, to that eternal separation which we will have from our Heavenly Father, where we will not be experiencing his goodness and his love and his common grace upon all creation. On that day of the Lord, when we feel his wrath and we eternally separated him for him forever, everything which was bad about the lockdowns will be even worse. That is what nature and creation, it is teaching us something. And as we reflect on that, and as we feel that, and as we mourn what has happened and think what could happen, then the call of Joel is, wake up and mourn. Wake up and mourn. Wake up and re 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 realize the reality of God's justice and his judgment, and realize that it is coming. And none can stand against it. Wake up and mourn because it will not be a happy day. There are so many who do not know and love the Lord Jesus Christ who think, oh, well, I don't, I don't need to. Oh, well, maybe there's an eternity or maybe there's not an eternity. Well, it doesn't matter. It will be, maybe I'll be floating on the clouds. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. This is sad and this is tragic and the day of the Lord is coming and God's justice is coming. It matters. Wake up and mourn. And as we wake up and as we mourn, we return to the Lord. Our second section, return and restoration. It is only when you know you're lost that you come home. It is only when you know you're lost you come home. And this feeling of, of, of returning to the Lord, it can sometimes feel very human. And it, it is very human. We feel that we're lost, and so we come back to the living God. We come back home. We are that, that lost son who is feeding the pigs and realizing that, that even my servant in my father's house and the story of the prodigal son, even, even those servants have fed more than me, so I will come back. It is that, that human sense of recognizing that we're lost and separated from God and returning to him, but it is all also there is a deeper reality. There is always a deeper reality to return. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. When we return to the Lord, he's also, that is only the human side of it. The spiritual side of it is that his heart is for us and for his people. And he's drawing us to himself and he's bestowing his blessing and his prosperity upon us and his joy and his freedom and everything that follows. 
The Lord is calling us, wake up and mourn. The Lord is calling us, return to the restoration of this relationship. Return. Not just ripping your garments, not just an outward display of return, but with your very hearts, your very motivation, your very selves, with all of our beings. And then that last final section, chapter 3, judgment and dwelling. Chapter 3 is speaking of a future day. A future day which we have not reached yet. A future day which we cannot comprehend unless we have the book of God's revelation, the scriptures and the book of nature which helps us see it and comprehend it. He's telling us about this future day which we haven't got to yet. This future day, this valley of decision that is to come. But on that day when we do get there, for all that who, who have returned... Well, then that day we will see the enemies of God meeting their maker. We will see the wicked and cruel men who threw Christians into prison camps in North Korea meeting their maker. We will see the wicked and cruel people who took bulldozers and smashed through the churches in China meeting their creator. We will see the wicked and the cruel people who have persecuted relentlessly the Christians in India meeting their maker we will see these the cruel men of the islamic state who beheaded christians for their belief meeting their maker all people all nations all who have turned against the living god for all their cruelty against the people of god they will meet their maker they will answer for their crimes we may not see the justice here on earth while we live but we will see justice in the valley of decision in the day of the Lord but as we look to that future day the day of the Lord and as we know that justice will come on all the nations who have turned against the living God and all their cruelties against the people of God we can also take great hope and comfort that we who are the children of God will find God to be our refuge we will find God to be our stronghold he will literally be our castle against the storm of his judgment in Noah and the, and, and the ark and, and the 40 days of the, of the rain, of all the floods that poured down up, across the earth, the ark was the place of refuge. The ark was a stronghold and Noah and his family were safe. They were brought through the judgment of God. We who cling to the Lord God, who have returned, we will be on that ark being brought through the judgment of God. We will be safe. And as we are safe, he will be dwelling with us and we will be dwelling with him. We will see him face to face and we will know him. So we have nothing to fear from the day of the Lord that is to come. And as we reflect upon the day of the Lord, well, it calls to us to examine ourselves and to return to the Lord. Not by ripping our garments, but with our hearts, with our whole being. And it calls to us to cry out to the Lord in prayer for all those we know and love who have not returned. As I was studying this chapter this week, well, I mourned. <laughs> I mourned for my brother and his family who do not know the living God. I mourned for my brother-in-law who, do who does not know the living God. I mourn for them because they will meet the living God one day on that day of judgment. And so I pray, please pour your mercy and your blessing upon them. Please may they return. Please may they come home. Please may they come back.
Joel, a heavy book. I hope this has inspired you to delve deep. I hope this has given you some sort of framework in which to think it through. I know it doesn't answer every question, so if you do have any questions from it, do come and ask me. But as we come to the end of our time, let's just um, pray.